Here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. Our Savior is called the Counselor, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God. But in His death, in His coming to this world, we have seen the heart of God, which is so gracious and good that He would reach down and embrace sinful humanity so He could take us back to heaven to be with Him for eternity. He is very high in our estimation. We have seen this one who is willing to sacrifice everything for us. Everyone in life wears multiple hats. When you're at home, you may be the husband, wife, or child. When you step out of the house, you might become a coach, employee, or student. In today's message, Pastor Ed says sometimes we treat Christianity just like that. When you walk into church, you put on your believer's hat. Pastor Ed says we need to learn in the house of the Lord, all hats are off. God doesn't want you to put on a different hat when you walk into his house. He wants you to put on a new heart. Well, let's join Pastor Ed in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 5, with part one of his message entitled, Have the Mind of Christ. You can't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ without the cross. You can't teach about Christianity unless you include the very center of its message, that Yahweh, God, died on the cross and rose from the dead for our sins. And I pray that we will keep that central in our worship, central in our lives, central in our teaching and preaching. We're continuing our series in the book of Philippians. I'd like you to stand with me as we turn to the second chapter of the book of Philippians. In chapter 2, Paul the Apostle begins to sense that there are problems on the horizon for the church, a a division, a conflict. And so he wants believers to apply the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ. And he goes to theology to find an illustration to tell us how to live. And he goes to the very center of the Christian message, Christ. And he takes from the kenosis, that means Christ emptying himself, coming from heaven down to earth and taking the form of a man and and dying a horrible death on the cross for us. And he says, here's how you live that out. Here's how you express it in your relationships with one another. Philippians chapter 2, beginning to read in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, curious, to the glory of God the Father. What a powerful passage of Scripture. Many of us in life have different roles. You walk into your house and you put on your hat as a husband or a wife, as a a parent. Then you go out and perhaps you're involved in one of your children's sports activities and you may be a coach, so you put on the hat of a coach. Then you go to work and then you put on your worker's hat. Sometimes we treat Christianity just like that. We come into church on Sunday and we put on our Christian hat. Well, in the house of the Lord, all hats are off. God doesn't want you to put on a different hat when you walk into his house. He wants you to put a different heart on. He wants you to have a brand new heart. Uh, Another way of saying it is this. Uh, We might see the world like one big stage and we're all actors or a, a movie. And we perceive ourselves as the featured star of the movie. God says, no. There's only one star in the movie. He's the bright and morning star, Jesus Christ. Uh, You're all supporting actors. And we're to gather around him and lift him up and follow his example. So he, Paul looks at the church and says, have the mind of Christ in your fellowship, in your church. And then he illustrates the mind of Christ. He's telling us, be like God. What is God like? Our God is humble. Say it again. Our God is a humble God, the eternal almighty one, if you and I were on the committee where he should be born, what his entrance into the world would be like, we might pick Caesar's palace or perhaps the high priest's home, some important place of prominence, but God chose a couple in poverty chose a place of obscurity. Christ is humble. He came down to earth and then he took upon himself the form of a servant, a slave, so that he might serve us. He came down and then he came down again. He hung on the cross and he died the death of a criminal. No Roman citizen could die that type of death. It was a horrid death that Roman citizens were excluded from. But Jesus died a horrible, horrific death. Christ came down in humility. But Paul didn't stop there. Paul continued. He showed us how God lifted him up. In in fact... Jesus told us, he said, for anyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. James 
the Lord's brother, said it this way, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So humility is the way to bring the mind of Christ to the body of Christ, to bring peace to our home, tranquility to our family. I want you to look at how God exalted Jesus because the passage that we're going to focus on this morning is verses 9 to 11. And I want you to see the contrast between his humbling himself and the Father's exalting of him. You notice that first, Jesus receives the exalted place. The exalted place in verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. In the Greek, it gives the idea he was super exalted. Now, how did he exalt him? What is he referring to? I believe here, Paul is echoing Isaiah chapter 52, where you have the prophecy concerning Messiah. These verses are an echo of the prophetic word concerning Messiah given by Jesus. And it speaks of his resurrection. He was exalted by the resurrection. In verse 32, Peter the apostle is preaching and he says, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. He's preaching to the Sanhedrin in chapter 4, Peter, and he says this, Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. They tried to kill the prince of life, but they couldn't. The grave couldn't keep him. Death couldn't hold him. The devil couldn't keep him down. And he was raised from the dead. What a blessed hope that is for you and me. To know that when they put the dirt on the coffin and they say, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, you're coming back. You're coming back. If you know Christ as Lord and Savior, you're going to come out of that grave. Because Jesus said, because I live, you too will live. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me will never die. The resurrection of Jesus is your promise that you too will live. That if you believe in Christ, you will live forever. And so Jesus was very high. He was exalted to a high place. The grave couldn't hold him. But he ascended to heaven also. And I believe it's referring to that in Acts 1-9. The disciples were gathered and they were asking, what's the last days going to be like? And they're all concerned about the second coming, which is a good thing to be concerned about. But Jesus, right in the midst of them, he begins to go up into the air. He begins to ascend to heaven. And they're watching him. I mean... He's going up into the very heaven of heavens until they can't see him anymore. And they're still looking. And the angels appear. And they said, he's going to come back in the same way he left. God the Father lifted him up. 
He raised him up from the grave. He lifted him up and received him to heaven. In Timothy it says, 1 Timothy, without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body, vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, announced to the nations. He was believed on throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. Uh, it doesn't end there. Uh, he, you see the exaltation of Christ, that he is at the right hand of the Father, the place of power and authority. In Acts chapter 5, 31, you see the exaltation of Christ. We've looked at the resurrection, the ascension, and the exaltation. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. He's at the right hand of the Father. This mirrors, echoes the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. It reads, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. That means wisely. This is Isaiah's prophecy. Whatever Jesus did, he would accomplish the divine purposes for which he was sent. He will deal wisely, prudently. He will be exalted. That's the resurrection. He will be extolled, the ascension. He will be very high, raised to the right hand of the Father. Now, some would say that Jesus was God, and he was. He was in the very form of God, the expressed image of God before he came into this world. Well, it doesn't mean that he was exalted, he was high. I would define it this way. Years ago in India, the Prince of Wales visited one of the cities. And the people in that city were enthralled with this good and kind and generous man. He made some speeches and they listened to him. And as he was leaving... Crowds from the city gathered to send him off. And as they were there, the prince noticed a young boy by the railroad tracks in a dangerous place. And the prince ran over, scooped up that boy, and put him on the side in a place of safety. And the crowd just began to shout and cheer him. See, he was exalted in their eyes even more than before when they saw his actions. We understand that the God of the Old Testament is shepherd. Our Savior is called the Counselor, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God. But in his death, in his coming to this world, we have seen the heart of God, which is so gracious and good that he would reach down and embrace sinful humanity so he could take us back to heaven to be with him for eternity. He is very high in our estimation. We have seen this one who is willing to sacrifice everything for us. And so he is in an exalted place. He also has an exalted name. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, again, gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, as you read the Greek grammar, what it's saying is that exalted name is Lord. Curious. That's in the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. Whenever they came to Yahweh... 
they would translate it, Adonai, curious, Lord. Because the Jew was very careful about mentioning the name of Yahweh. In the synagogue, they would refer to Yahweh as Lord. Christians gave Jesus that title. Lord. He is the God of the Old Testament. He is the one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. He is the one who led the Israelites through the desert. Names in Scripture are significant. They're not given arbitrarily. The Associated Press years ago talked about a young girl in London, in England, who was given 139 names. Parents wanted to do something different. So uh, the name went uh, something like this. Tracy, Marcy, Claire, Lisa, Tammy, Samantha, Christine, Alexandria. Oh, you get the idea. You know, 139. But the names of Jesus are significant. And the name that's above every name is the name of God himself. Lord. He is the God of the Old Testament. Make no mistake, he is almighty God. He always was and always will be. He is the eternal existing one. He's not a created being. He is the creator. I, uh, I think of Acts chapter 10 and then Revelation uh, 36. It says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Revelation 17, 14. They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and with Him will be called His chosen and faithful followers. So we acknowledge Jesus as the Lord of lords, the King of kings. In the crown room in the Tower of London, uh, there's diadems from the British monarchs for eight centuries. All these crowns worth maybe a billion dollars or more. Jesus is going to wear all of those crowns, casting our crowns at him. When we say, all hail the power of Jesus' name. We're recognizing that he is king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, we're not just giving him lip service. We're saying that he's the lord of our life. He determines our future. He determines our destiny. He determines our decisions. We make our decisions on the basis of who he is. He is my lord. In verses 10 to 11. Now catch the nuance here. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. The idea is a future tense. Should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is curious to the glory of God the Father. Notice, every knee will bow. I was raised Catholic, and we were taught that when you walk past the center of the church where they kept the chalice and the communion elements to genuflect. And we would do that. I remember as a young person, every time we would come past the center aisle, we would genuflect and kneel down. Well, that was a way of paying homage 
of showing reverence and respect. But someday, every single knee is going to bow to Christ. Now the scripture says, in heaven, every archangel and every angel, every principality and every power, on earth, every single man and woman and child is going to bow to him. There are rulers of kingdoms who wanted men to bow to them. But Alexander the Great in that day and Caesar in that day and Napoleon in that day will bow and acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Supreme Lord. Every intellectual, every brilliant mind from Einstein and Galileo and the whole host of them will bow their knee and acknowledge him as Lord of Lords. The nations will be gathered together and the people of the earth earth and everyone will bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the Old Testament, God said in Isaiah chapter 45 verses 22 to 23, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn my mouth has uttered it in all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow by me every tongue will swear. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, every tongue will confess. Paul the Apostle is reaching back into the Old Testament, into the book of Isaiah, and applying this to Jesus. He's saying that Jesus is God. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the one who every knee will bow to, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now it says every tongue. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There are those who curse his name. There are those who use it as a swear word. There are those who speak of Christ with mockery in their heart. In Daniel, the seventh chapter, Daniel has a vision. In my vision at night I looked... And there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. He will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. There in that kangaroo court that the Sanhedrin pulled together to discredit Jesus and to send him to the cross with all sorts of false accusations. He gives a true testimony, our Lord. He says to them, and he's reaching back now to uh, Daniel the prophet. He's reaching to Daniel when he says, Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is God. And so God the Father said, I'm going to exalt Him, and all the world is going to know who He is. All the world will one day bow at His feet. Being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
This is a wonderful truth taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. And as trying times enter into your life, it's important to continually keep this at the forefront of your thoughts. Each day here on Voice of Faith, Pastor Ed will be teaching verse by verse through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, we want to encourage you to log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. To stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Voice of Faith, subscribe to our Twitter feed at VOF Radio 1. Again, to follow the Voice of Faith Twitter feed or to access the archive of messages, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com. Or if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Voice of Faith. On behalf of Pastor Ed, Faith Assembly, and the entire production team, we want to say thank you for joining us and come back next time for another edition of Voice of Faith.